Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. This is Gates Torres, and I am your host for the month of May here on the Speaking of Racism podcast, and I have the honor of having Melody Lee on this episode. Melody is a colony-born migrant and settler and therapist of color and mental health justice activist. Melody created Inclusive Therapists, a social justice-oriented mental health directory and community that celebrates the strengths and centers the needs of marginalized communities. Inclusive Therapists is also the um, the resource, the directory that I recommend people. It's one of the top ones that I recommend folks who are looking for um, therapists of color, um, indigenous and black therapists, and also therapists who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community. This is also the community that therapists themselves and also um, folks in the helping professions which does include um, social workers etc to find a sense of community and belonging to have trainings and conversations together about what it is like to have an anti-racist anti-colonial approach to healing and therapy you can find them on inclusivetherapists.com in this conversation, oh, we do talk about we talk about a lot. We talked about Melody's story and how, um, with her identity, her context has brought her to who she is today, and um, and what it is like to exist within the mental health industry, which is not exempt from having foundations of white supremacy, delusion, of racism, and capitalism, and so forth. I also wanted to give a quick content warning on this episode as later, maybe more than halfway through the episode, Melody and I talked a little bit about suicidality for just maybe five minutes or less. And so if it is helpful to have a loved one sit with you as you listen to this episode, or if you believe that it is best to not listen to this episode at all, then please prioritize your well-being, pre- please prioritize your safety. This episode is really important, and it also touches on themes that might be difficult for some to hear. And so again, take care of yourself, take deep breaths, And I hope that you find this episode beneficial and also challenging and also um, invites you to really dig deeper into your understanding of what healing in the context of anti-racism and decolonizing look like. And here's my conversation with Melody. So I was just telling you earlier that I would like to begin with an honoring of or a dedication to an ancestor or more, um, someone who you may invoke in 
Um, and I also want to say that this is inspired by um, Leila Saeed and Dr. Alexis Pauline Gums, who do this in their work where they start interviews, where they start conversations with a dedication to an ancestor or to um, a person of esteemed influence, because I also know that ancestors can go beyond our bloodline and can also be an ancestor, even though we never met them. So I'd like to invite you, Melody, who would you like to dedicate our time together to? Mm, thank you. Thank you. Mm, I am so fortunate to have spent time with both of these ancestors, which are my grandmothers. Wang Mui is my paternal grandmother, and Wu Xiaoji is my maternal grandmother. And they are just the most nourishing, loving, gentle, yet resilient, strong, um, no BS women that just held me and and showed me how to be brave. They operated, they lived in systems that rejected them as women, as um, deaf women, both my grandmothers are deaf, as illiterate women. Mm. And yet the wisdom that they held in just the ways of being um, continues to inspire and deepen my understanding of my culture in connection with this world. So I dedicate that to this time to my grandmothers. Mm. Honor, honor, honor. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to dedicate our time together um, to, to a guerrilla warrior in the Philippines whose name is Lorena Barros, whom I actually believe guides me, even though I never met her, in the conventional, traditional sense. She fought for our country. She fought against dictatorship and um, regime in such a heightened and chaotic anti-democratic time in the Philippines. And she and I share the same birthday. And when, whenever I definitely echo the bit about bravery, that whenever I remember her, I feel in, invited to step into courage. So I dedicate my time to Tita Lori. Tita as we Lori. Dedicate. Yeah, as we dedicate it with, dedicate it to your grandmothers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I wish we all started our conversations and our times together like this. Um, whew, thank you, Melody, for joining me in podcast space here on Speaking of Racism. Um, you have been... Ooh, a teacher, a great friend, and there are so many, so many people who have been healed and co-healed um, because of your stewardship and of your leadership. And thank you for being here with me. My first question, 
is what's your story? What had what are what led you to doing this work as a therapist? And you can also go ahead and share with folks like what it is that you're up to as well. Mm, Gabe's such an honor to share space with you. Likewise, you are a dear friend, kin, and teacher of mine. And mm, my story. That brings a smile to my face um, of leading with what my story is as opposed to the conventional, what do you do? And my story um, traces back to me and my people. Um, I'm a Hong Konger. And um, me and my people lived through um, British colonization up until 1997. And that, now looking back, is really informing of now the work that I do and seeing the ways that we had to assimilate, we had to find our ways to survive and also to honor and to hold on to our cultures and traditions um, in an environment that stigmatized and rejected my people's way of being. Mm -hmm. So going a little bit further back, I would say we are, my lineage is, um, we were fisher people. And uh, Hong Kong is made up of many, many islands, much like the Philippines. And um, but as a result of colonialism, our habitat was destroyed. And so um, my people moved inland and had to find a way to survive. And um, and with that, um came kind of the hardships of poverty, of illiteracy, of trying to find a way, which now looking back at my ancestors, thinking, wow, what powerful, resilient people, and what also what sacrificial people they were to um, give so much. And so coming to my generation, that gave me a lot of privilege, privilege of education, privilege of um, actually also being able to migrate, you know, mm -hmm. all of these privileges that um, I have. But with that privilege also comes its toll. And so growing up in Hong Kong in, uh, you know, Cantonese queer body um, mm -hmm. in a system that is cis-heteronormative, that is um, Eurocentric, of course. I internalized a lot of, mm, you know, internalized queer phobia and internalized mm -hmm. white supremacy, all of these things that I just held in my body. And so... I didn't have words or name for any of that. It's just how I lived, even though there's a part of me that, you know, felt like I don't quite fit in or I don't quite feel rooted or grounded, not really knowing what that's about. Um, so part of my 
story is having the privilege to migrate to um, the land of the Squamish people, um, the Salish people, you know, um, onto Pacific Northwest coast and um, growing up in Canada um, as an immigrant came with its sets of challenges too, but then learning about um, the history of the land mm-hmm. and the, the really the violent history of, of Canada, so-called Canada, um, of genocide, of also, you know, enslavement and, of you know, the history of Turtle Island and going, what, what is my role in all of this? What is the purpose of these experiences? How do they connect if we are all interconnected? What is my role, duty and responsibility? And that became informing to me as I was developing my career into becoming a therapist of being critical and questioning and asking a lot of questions and a lot of times not having the answers of being told, just jump through the hoops, get your license, then practice in these ways, know the DSM well. And that just could not fit into my lived experience and narrative it 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 was not honoring of me and my people nor of the people of the land that Mm -hmm. i settled on and so through being in community learning in community and being able to put name to things such as you know um colonization into um the ways that our field upholds these hegemonic practices that actually causes harm Um, with this understanding um, I had to reflect on then how do I with my positionality um, both practice from but also inform our field in a way that is liberatory in a decolonial way as I myself am also healing from yeah. um, my lived experiences too. Yeah. Ugh, that part. <laughs> Having to hold that, and forgive me, I don't know if you have anything more to say, but I just feel so much resonance with that part. Like, what is it like to be an agent of healing, of having to address harm while also having to address your own in, in such a like there's so much richness to what you just shared about being a colonized subject and what it means to decolonize and in some ways unbecome uh, and address and contend all the internalized isms mm-hmm. around white supremacy and queer phobia, et cetera, et cetera. So I just felt like something visceral that went on in me as a therapist myself, the the having to hold both being an agent of healing and also having to heal yourself. Perhaps this, this is a, a huge question. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> like, especially during this time of a global crisis. Um, and I know that there are no right, perfect answers either, but how have you been um, holding that complexity? Mm. Yes, yes, the complexity. 
part of the healing and unlearning is unlearning a linear way of thinking, which is that healing and progress looks one way, point A to point B. I'm learning about how cyclical and how interconnected and how web-like healing truly is that um, as an agent of healing and change, that that work also heals and changes me, that I'm transformed in the process through relationship with folks that I have the privilege to collaborate with. And yes, there is the unlearning and there's also the reclamation and that mm. happening simultaneously is healing too, as I am dismantling um, parts that do not belong to me, that mm. are oppressive and are hurtful, that I have also caused harm with, you know, these colonial tools. I also get to reclaim parts of me and learn about um, my people's healing practices that may have been stigmatized, shunned, um, and to be in community with others, with relatives that say, hey, you want to learn a bit about my healing practices? And to be able to collab collaborate in these ways. And I think what has been really healing in my journey is even though many of us, um, our journeys to Turtle Island or our journeys in this, um, in becoming um, agents of healing are different. There is that connectedness that just, mm, that felt sense of, ooh, I get you. Mm -hmm. I get you that, um, that not, that those, the, the feelings that, you know, don't, we don't necessarily have to put to words yeah, and not feeling alone in that experience. And so therefore I am invited to um, show up imperfectly. I'm invited to show up and um, have questions and to um, show my vulnerabilities and my not knowings mm -hmm. um, has been really healing to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so anti-capital, anti-capitalist to, to show up in that way so vulnerably, so generously without having to, to know it all together, to show up in a way that um, most professional realms in the Western world deem to be successful or deem to be professional in the first place. Um, I kind of want to like... I love where this conversation is going. And I also want to like take a few steps back and ask you, <laughs> what does, um, and I know that we're already in some ways like alluding to it. What does decolonized healing or decolonized therapy mean for you or look like for you? Mm. I love that question because I feel like that's my quest to understand because I don't have the answer. And the beauty of it is that with each conversation, then I have one more puzzle piece mm -hmm. and um, that it's a continuing process of decolonizing. Um, I can speak a little bit to how my journey has looked so far. And 
where I start is to first find out the impact of colonization on me, my elders, and my people. And so it really started with conversations with my parents, with my relatives, and learning about how they coped and the coping mechanisms, or we may call, you know, racialized trauma or colonial trauma, that um, the ways that they've survived and coped and how these ways of being were passed down to me. And in what ways do I, if these, you know, coping mechanisms go unexamined, that I risk perpetuating harm. Yeah. And so that's a starting place for me of really questioning my beliefs, my belief system, what I thought were, you know, what is right side up turns out to be oftentimes upside down. Um, and being inquisitive and curious and at the same time having compassion for the ways that colonization has not only impacted my parents and my elders, but also our relationships too. So the ways that they've survived and the ways that they've passed down their ways of survival has actually hurt our relationships in a lot of ways. For example, um, that my parents parented from a place of fear, that my parents parented in a very um, black, white, binary ways, that there's these absolutist ways. And growing up, I struggled with that as a person that is fluid um, and to not believe in one ultimate truth, but to know that I had to, um, I, I felt restricted. I felt confined in these ways. And in the past, I would say I would be, I could be quicker to blame and say, oh, um, they are just really restrictive parents. And and now taking a step back and go, what is the colonial trauma there? Mm-hmm. So the healing really starts with. Um, looking at the relationships with me and those closest to me. And that's where the decolonizing work begins. And then as I had more language and more insight, then learning about other people's stories and making these connections of how that shows up with folks with um, different or um, different journeys, um, but also have been impacted by um, these colonial systems. And you know, I'm kind of out of words. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then when I understand more and as I'm able to connect with other stories, then I'm also able to invite others to share their mm-hmm. stories. So kind of moving from an individualized place, uh, mm-hmm. for example, we talk about the symptoms of mental right. emotional distress, right? A person mm-hmm. may have anxiety and thinking that, oh, there's something I'm not doing enough, or I'm not doing enough self-care, or I need to think differently. I need to change my, my, my way of thinking to say, hey, let's slow down. Let's, let's explore your story first. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the ways that um, this anxiety um, may show up as a way to respond to 
mm-hmm. what is happening you know, around you and your people. And so by inviting these stories in, that is when a lot, there, there's a lot more richness and a lot of more context and also softness and compassion for ourselves and one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The words that come to mind are courage and imagination. Mm. The courage to actually like look into, um, the root from which all these um, coping mechanisms, um, strategies for survival have come from. Um, for me, like it takes a certain level of courage to um, to actually be willing to understand where parents, elders are coming from, that this was a response for survival and protection, which I don't know what your experience is with um, how therapy works here. There's been um, a lot of of need to address how parents have have not owned, uh, have not taken responsibility for how much they have wronged um, or, or have done mistakes. And um, I think that what makes this approach to healing um, more courageous is to have like a sense of understanding that, you know, that's how that's how they tried to get through and make it. And um, I'm curious about how, so in my experience in clinical training and education, <laughs> there is um, a, a, a prompt, would it be a prompt? Or kind of like an understanding that within the therapeutic relationship, it's got to be neutral. <laughs> we got to leave the politics out. We got to leave identity out treat every client equally, which is a Freudian concept. I saw you roll your eyes there. And I'm curious about, I would love to hear about how you feel about how um, majority, not all, a lot of clinicians separate um, politics from therapy work or from treatment. Mm, I did roll my eyes. And as I was rolling my eyes, my eyes rolled back to one of the earliest interviews that I did um, when I started my practice. And there's this urge for me to shout that Mm. your and my identity is our superpower. Mm. And I am grateful to see more and more of these conversations happening Mm -hmm. um and in yes in you know eurocentric psychology there is this i don't quite know i i'm i'm kind of biting my tongue right but there's really a falsehood that one can be neutral, that one can be unbiased. And it takes a certain level of disillusionment or dissociation or detachment from oneself Mm -hmm. to be able to practice in that way Mm -hmm. and to suppress really Mm -hmm. our intuitions and to deny our humanity. And so part of decolonizing mental health care is the rehumanization, the hum- rehumanizing 
of the experience, which is honoring our full beings and all parts mm. of us, not only the individual, but mm. our connection mm. with our people, our lineage, our land, our, you know, our stories, our communities. It's bringing all of that in. And so, you know, I guess I, I, I could conceptualize why Eurocentric psychology adopted this model, right? Um, it, the, the less vulnerable a therapist has to be, the more power one can hold, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if I don't reveal anything about you, now I know all this stuff about you that I get to interpret and I get to um, make sense of for you. What a lot of power that is a to lot. hold and what mm -hmm. a lot of potential for harm as mm -hmm. well, as opposed to showing up and saying, this is, this is who I am. And, um, therefore these are the biases that I hold. These are the lived experiences that I have at the same time. The, the desire is that allows us to connect on a more human level to, connect in a more equitable way. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Melody, I keep thinking, well, thank you. That was powerful. I love that. I wish that this, what you just shared with us was more widespread <laughs> in this particular field, but it also makes sense that it isn't as widely um, taught because of how much mental health is still an institution, like the world of psychotherapy is still an institution. And so as best as we can, as therapists who um, aim to create liberatory spaces, um, we make this information and these lived experiences as accessible as possible. Um, I keep thinking about the, like when we talk about power, in the therapeutic alliance is what we call it, the relationship between therapist and patient. I keep thinking about how, how it's even arrogant for a therapist to even think that I can, that it's possible to separate my identity from my interpretation of the treatment. That is so arrogant. <laughs> and and so I, I, I love how you use the word um, to humanize. Um, it makes me think about informed consent, that before you say yes to um, doing treatment with me, you ought to know that I'm like for myself, I'm a Filipina. I come from these particularities from this history, maybe not like the full um, um, lessons or lecture, but enough to to let them know what they're saying yes to. Just the role of consent in something as early as the onboarding process or the working together process. Absolutely. I believe that transparency mm -hmm. um, is transparency is one way to dismantle this hierarchical hierarchy of power. 
And of course, you know, transparency with wisdom and discernment. Um, and it's consent is important. And part of consent is choice that the mm -hmm. service user gets to choose the therapist that they want to work with. And so if we don't tell them who we are, then this um, consent really isn't truly informed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, and to not ask for consent and to not um, share a certain level of transparency is, it feels like an ongoing dynamic of colonialism, of invasion, of having to, um, to in some ways um, remain in this hierarchy of power and get money from this vulnerable person who is not informed enough. So I just feel like that is um, an ongoing effect of that. That, that power dynamic of that oppressive um, power dynamic. Not very many therapists are going to be happy with this. And that's great. Um, with how we're talking. <laughs> um, you keep talking about, I love how you um, would talk about interconnectedness. And I know that when people think about therapy, people immediately think about um, or have an image of one therapist one client. Um, and I myself come from a, an understanding that because a lot of us, specifically those of us who are people of color who are, um, who come from um, colonized realities, like if trauma is collective, then it must be the case that so is healing. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on collective healing. Why is it important? And how does it look like? Mm, yes, yes. I love that so much. And the transparency, of course, is that I was not trained this way. I was mm -hmm. trained to be very individualistic minded. Mm, and again, I want to start from my story, my lived experience, and I saw, I witnessed the ways that colonization and colonialism um, severs. It severs interconnectedness. It severed my people's relationship with our habitat, with our land, with the water, and that took a toll. So in place of um, being you know, one with the land, Hong Kong was overdeveloped. And so there are skyscrapers everywhere. And part of exploring my lineage is exploring my name. And so my paternal name means child of the tree. And my maternal name means forest. And so the presence of trees is actually very integrated into our lineage and our ways of being. And so I've been thinking about what happens when there's that severing, when interconnectedness is, um, is disrupted. And so one image that I had was these skyscrapers, this development took place of the trees. Mm. And in my family, um, there's a history of suicide. And the suicide is by 
actually, sorry, um, I, wa I want to lead with, you know, um, content warning suicidality um, of actually um, ending one's life um, from buildings. Mm. And so when we're talking about the impact of colonization and its connection to mental health, I see a very direct impact. Yeah. And it's in my family story of what happens when we are disconnected from the land and we are um, forced to um, survive in, in such disconnected ways. And so with that trauma, that collective trauma, yes, there's also the collective healing. And that reminds me that our people have always known how to heal. Mm -hmm. Our people have always known how to survive. That in moments we were forced, we were either displaced or we were forced to disconnect from um, our ways of knowing and being. And but the but we've always known. And how do we return? How do we mm -hmm. reconnect with? And the reconnection is not individual, that it's, it's in community, that there are movements of reconnection, there are movements of revitalization. And how does one, um, in a way, kind of find and to get connected with these movements that we don't have to reinvent or think of? new ways that but are there ways to tag along with to learn alongside yes and to find these ways of reconnection and reclaiming mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. i'm like nodding my head hardcore as you were speaking um a lot of that has to do with just the fact that just this return, this remembering. And I say that with kind of like a re um, hyphen membering because we have been severed. We have been disconnected to our ancestors' ways of healing and of, and not just survival, but also in thriving and also in flourishing. Um, one of the things that I have come to understand in this continuous journey of being decolonized and being anti-oppressive is that you're right, Melody, like it's not so much that we come up with new or innovative ways of healing, but we actually return to what's ancient, what's ancestral. And in that, um, in that return, I know for myself, like I've seen how much when I think about collective, it's got to involve the land. It's got to involve Mother Earth. It's got to involve the rest of the ecosystem because surprise, we are not the, we're not on this top hierarchy of species, but we've been living according to that. A lot of us who are um, non-Indigenous have lived into that, that, that belief that we are to dominate and that we are the supreme species of this planet. And so I appreciate how, yes, it is a 
for me, the future is indigenous. Mm. The future Absolutely. Is indigenous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Oof. Well, I really, really appreciate how you shared so much of your beauty and your wisdom. Um, I would love fo- for folks to hear about where and how they could find you. Would you let us know how we can do that? If you'd like to do like a shameless plug on your platforms. Sure. Thank you for creating <laughs> space um, to connect with me. Um, you can find me on my website, melodylee.com. Lee is spelled L-I. Or on Instagram, Melody Hope Lee. And my my indigenous name is Ying Hei which means abundant in hope. So that's where the hope comes from. I am also the founder of Inclusive Therapists for folks that are looking for a therapist that is culturally responsive, that's LGBTQ celebratory. Um, Visit us, inclusivetherapist.com. We also offer um, spaces of collective healing and also co-learning um we have a monthly decolonizing mental health series that you know everyone all learners are invited to participate in and you can find us on instagram at inclusive therapists as well wonderful thank you melody is it okay if i ask one last question for you absolutely (laughs) if you had a message well to those who are listening and who are practitioners of mental health or social work, um, or any of the helping professions, what is your message to them, especially those who aim to decolonize the therapeutic or social work, any of these helping spaces? Mm, That's a big question. I'm going to go back to the foundations, which is land back, land back, land back, land back. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't decolonize without prioritizing land back. And yes, Turtle Island and also globally. Um, and how do, and recognizing, um, taking time to recognize what our roles are on, mm-hmm. on this land. Um, and in that exploration, I hope that you will find spaces of solidarity for um, Black liberation, reparations, and liberations of all beings um, beyond um, the human species. And in that exploration, I hope that the universe will bring us together so we can, mm. you know, co-learn and co-heal as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. May it be so. Melody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of my community. Thank you for being my kin. Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. It is such a joy to be with you. And thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know. 